Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, second hour of four altogether. Two today, two tomorrow. Irish musicians talk up albums they love. Back in 1990, Dublin band Power of Dreams made a huge statement with their debut album, Immigrants, Emigrants and Me. Seven or eight albums later, main man Craig Walker has an album that means a lot to him. There you go, that is of course music from the Smiths, Cemetery Gates is what it's called and it's from an album called The Queen Is Dead which is the choice of favourite album from Craig Walker. Craig, how are you? Hi Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing very well indeed. Uh, Let's take a look first of all at the Smiths. I mean, an awful lot of people who pick their favourite album will pick a favourite album from a certain age that they were. You were that age, weren't you? (laughs) I was 14. It was ni- 1985, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, 1985, 86, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was 14 when it came out. And I was already a massive Smiths fan by that. They were my Beatles, you know, they were the first band that, I mean, I was into the Beatles, but the Smiths was the first band that I actually bought the records, you know, as they came out. Um, I, had a, I had a brother who's five years older and he's really, he had a really good taste in music. So he got the first Smith single and from that I was hooked. So that would have been 80, was it 82? Uh, around 83 direction. Yeah, I mean, like they didn't last long, about five years, but they were in the middle of the 80s. Do you think they were the defining band of the 1980s? I would say so. I'd say it's between them and The Cure, really. I would mm-hmm. say like both bands were hugely, hugely influential. But, you know, the Smiths were the ba- That was the band that I, that, you know, as I said, like my mother used to drive me. I was such a fan that I used to get her to drive up to Newry over the border so I could get the, the new singles released on the Friday. Yeah. As it was UK, so I'd have the I'd have it and I'd listen to you. I'd I'd record you'd you'd have the you'd have the, the twelve inch tracks, you know, mm. the B sides, and I'd record them onto on uh, off your show. And uh and then I'd go up north with my mum and buy the by the by the twelve inches. So I had it I had it I had two days before it came out. It sounds ridiculous, but I was No, just... it's funny, like it doesn't sound ridiculous, but I'll tell you one thing, it sounds like history. That kind of thing doesn't happen anymore, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, but yeah, no, massively influential band. Like for me, you know, they 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 just completely, like lyrically and musically, it was just a complete, you know, for me that was the perfect amalgamation of that, you know, brilliant songwriting and and I fell in love with the that would, they were the guys that I really fell in love with the idea of songwriting, you know, Morrissey's lyrics and and Johnny Marr's Johnny Marr's music. Yeah, I mean, right across the board, there was a lot of depth, a lot of focus, and a lot of good tunes as well. I mean, they weren't exactly my number one, even though I really loved, but you know, I love the stuff they did. They only had four studio albums. Yeah, yeah, but there are a lot of B sides. I mean, you know, yeah, they, they, you could have put you could have put there could have been seven albums when you put it all together. You know, they had louder than bombs and also half full of hollow, which was yeah. rammed rammed with amazing songs. That's true. Songs. But the other and the other thing that's really strange about it is the fact that like just to show the legacy, just to show that sometimes maybe people didn't really understand how good they were at the time, uh, they certainly did within years later. Because even though I say four studio albums, ten compilations. <laughs> amazing, amazing, yeah. really. And, and you know, I remember uh, George Bourne. God bless his. Yeah. The rest of the he gave a, a kind of lukewarm review of the Queen is Dead in Hot Press, and yeah. uh, I, and I and I got I got to know George later. You know, I used were you to outraged, Craig? 
I was completely outraged. <laughs> and I mean, me and him would have arguments about that. And, and yeah. he kind of accepted that, you know, he got it wrong with that one. Because, uh, but I can remember the, the exact moment in my parents' house in, in Walkinstown when the, when the, I can't remember what I had for breakfast today, but I can remember pulling the needle down on, on The Queen is Dead. And, and that, you know, take me back to dear old Blighty kicks in. And, well, here, I'll give a little blast of that then. The title track, in other words, take me back to dear old Blighty. This is The Queen is Dead. This is The Smiths. There you go, that's the title track from the album from the Smiths, of course. And we're talking here to Craig Walker from Power Dreams. Just a quickie um, about the band. The first one, Immigrants, Immigrants and Me. I mean, the power of that album. Do you find you still bump into people who say how important it was in the same way as you're talking the Smiths? Absolutely. Last night I had people I had people who came up to me and they were crying. Uh, I don't know, it sounds melodramatic, but, you know, they've lived with this album for 32 years and some of them have never seen the band. And yeah. uh, and it means it means an awful lot to them. You know, there was one guy saying that when his father died in 1990, that that was the album that helped him through it. And, yeah. you know, that's that's an astonishing thing, you know, and I understand it. You know, I'm the same at the Smiths. I never want to meet Morrissey. I was in the same room with him. I don't ever want to meet him. Um, it's not, you know, it's not anything I've ever wanted to do. It's just. I, you know that that period of the Smiths is just for me just can't be tarnished. It's strange, isn't it, that an artist you can see you know the longer you're around you can see an artist like absolutely change their political views and and, and Morrissey people forget you know he he was he introduced so many people to vegetarianism and yeah. and also also the idea of men being able to show emotion and. You know, that that was groundbreaking for me. You know, I think like for my generation, it was it was that you know all the guys from the seventies talk about seeing Bowie on um, on top of the pops yeah. with Mick Ronson yeah. being yeah. the defining moment, and you know all these major stars from the eighties talk about it. And for me, it was seeing the Smiths on top of the pops for the first time again. It's just like well, you know, magic. Funny thing about the Smiths on top of the pops, um, like even though like the first few singles obviously amazing, etc., and they like they really like who is this crowd with the gladioli in his back pocket and all that. But there was one thing about the single releases that, like, the uh, Top of the Pops audience, like, Morrissey would be on Dancing Away so badly that it was, yeah. very, it was very subversive and we all liked it. But so many people didn't like it that every time they went on, their single went down the charts because your average Top of the Pops kind know, of person wasn't into that kind of thing. Like, I have a funny story about that. I was in, I was, I was, I had my first job, summer job in, in, um, in, a, in a factory, where, a chemical factory warehouse in Dublin when I was like 16. And I would, they had a tannoy in this warehouse where I was working and you know, I would bring cassettes in and I was like the DJ and I would always put the Smiths on and all the older guys were like, why are you listening to this miserable music? <laughs> and I never found the Smiths, I always found it joyous, you know, especially Johnny Myers, you know, the guitars are, are, are totally joy, joyful and full of joy and you know, a celebratory and, and I never found them, I found them funny, but never miserable. Here's a big heavy question for you. Now, being a Smiths fan during their lifetime, um, kind of, you know, did you feel it was like a kind of a protest signalling your alienation from the pop mainstream of the 80s and the political culture it represented? What do you think, Craig? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Go one word answer will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, I mean, Morrissey was talking about stuff that nobody else was talking about at that point. Absolutely. You know, and he, 
and he took he took the Mickey out of what was going on around as well. And actually, you know, in retrospect, a lot of the stuff that he was kind of having a go at was actually really good, you know, in the passage of time. But then it felt really important that he was that they were a band, you know, they weren't because everything was keyboards then, you know, the first yeah. kind of onslaught of technology. Exactly coming into music and they were they were countering that you know and seeing Johnny Murray with his 12 string rig yeah I'd much rather top of the myself yeah, yeah so like you know the thing about it is by album number three which this one is you think that's kind of the peak of it all of the four albums and do you think he was learning to kind of express his I mean there was an awful lot of self-loathing with Morrissey but he had a lot of mockery on this album and it kind of worked because of it Absolutely, and and I and I like you know stuff like uh, "Vicar in a Tutu" is just yeah. hila- hilarious lyrics, yeah. you know. I, mm. And that was the first time I'd ever spotted a humor. I'd never really, you know, never, I don't, you know, you you count happiness and sadness, but you never think humor is going to work in pop music. And um, it's a it's a rare gift to be able to make people laugh in a song. I remember here, that I think it was Bono. Bono yeah. said that he nearly crashed his car when he. I remember reading an interview around the time. Bono said he nearly crashed his car the first time he heard um, "Girlfriend in a Coma" because it was so funny, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. what a reaction! What a what a great indeed. Reaction. Well, listen, I'm going to play another track from the album, and this is one that did so well in Fanny's Five Fifty that I think was in there for ten years in the top ten every time. There is a light that never goes out. The Smiths. <laughs> Craig Walker from Power of Dreams with the Smiths before the break. Um, Neve Farrell from Ham Sandwich, who released their fourth album, Magnify, a few months back. She's picked this one here. And you might think it's a Radiohead album. It isn't. Wake from your sleep The drying of your tears And there you go. That is, of course, music from Radiohead. And you think it's probably from an album that you know very well. But actually, I played it from a different album. So, Neve Farrell, why did I do that? Well, you played it from the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, which is one of my, maybe, actually, maybe my favourite albums of all time, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's from, it's not from one Radiohead's album, it's from a soundtrack. Okay, and mm. it's the very definition of a schizophrenic album, isn't it? Absolutely is, yeah. There's, like, it's it's such a mixed bag of everything. Like, there's Radiohead, you have Monday, Gavin Friday, Cardigans, Wannadies, and, like, all different types of music in there. There's punk, there's, like, this, you know, yeah. kind of soft piano, Desiree and stuff. So it's, it's, I picked this, I think, as well, because my music taste is very eclectic. So it's a kind of a good representation of me maybe as a person. Yeah, because there's just, just everything. This was kind of slightly as Britpop as maybe, I don't know, kind of going backwards and you were just starting teens and so yeah. something is going to, it's always going to be around that age and it's going to be the biggest thing. Did like, you know, the movie, first of all, I presume you saw it a few times. The movie, yeah, the movie, I remember going with my school to see the movie and the screen in Dolier Street and uh, I was probably 13 at the time and, you know, 13-year-old teenage girl looking at Leonardo DiCaprio on screen, it's kind of changed my, my life, <laughs> you know. So hold but, on a uh, is it Leonardo or is it the music? Oh, it's everything. It's all, yeah. it's all of it. Did the you have whole... the poster on the bedroom wall, yeah? I did, of As course, everybody yeah. Everybody did. Yeah, I, asked, like... I just, and I loved, and I think, you know, initially, obviously, it was about that kind of the whole romantic of the of the movie and the story and Leo and all this. But like, as I got older then and kind of, I kept listening to the soundtrack I kept watching the movie just finding different things to love about it really you know what I mean I love Baz Luhrmann's 
the kind of way he shoots stuff and the colours he uses and everything just looks so wow. glamorous. So like, I mean, with all of the music that's there, like, as I say, it's a really kind of eclectic mix to put mm. it sort of nicely. But like, there's so much different stuff on this that like, if this was an album, it's it's like as though each track runs into each other in terms of your head, is it? Like, you just always know it that way. Absolutely, yeah. Like, it's a, it kind of one of those things if I would hear one of the songs yeah. separately, I would hear the ne- next song in my that's head. Exactly you know, I mean. definitely. Yeah. Like, it's a... It kind of, yeah, it's like a storybook of an album, you know, and and I know all the little bits that the songs are in in the movie and stuff like that, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a huge album for me. It's a soundtrack yeah, to my life. Because everybody that's picked one in this series that we have is either by one actor, one mm. artist or whatever. And you haven't picked a, even a best of. You've picked a soundtrack to a movie, which is totally cool. Already. Yeah. And did it introduce you, do you think, to a lot of new music? It definitely did, I think. Is I, I, I mean, I definitely would have gotten into kind of the cardigans from it and as well, like Monday. I mean, I lived in Scotland at the time. I, I was kind of really listening to the soundtrack and I loved the Monday song. I felt like I had a real connection with, with back home here in an Irish, somebody, an Irish person on this huge soundtrack that was so big, right, you yeah, know, exactly. worldwide, like, you know, it kind of kept me connected to home. And then I actually, years later, a couple of years ago, actually, I was in Whelan's and I uh, I said to Mundy, was he playing to you? I bestow that night at the gig. And he says, oh, do you want to sing it with me? So I got up and I sang it with him. And it was, what a lovely moment to have, like just, years was later. Was it a moment or were you scared out of your mind? Oh, and it was such a lovely moment. Now, yeah, I know. <laughs> Edmund Enright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you sang that and, just, and were you any good, were you? I know, it was lovely. It was what what a lovely thing to do. I, I kind of, I love when stuff like that kind of comes yeah. full circle when you, you know, and when you've listened to something growing up and then you meet the person and, you know, you get to know the person behind the track and get to sing it with them. I mean, not many people would have that opportunity. Well, then, you know, listen, that's it. Like, Let's so. hear it. Minus Neve Farrell. <laughs> this is uh, To You I Bestow and this is Monday. Will you may not see me when you come by be sharing someone else's pillow And my love for you is better than diamonds To you, everything I bestow There you go, Monday it is. We're talking here about the soundtrack of the uh, movie Romeo and Juliet. Neve Farrell from Ham Sandwich has picked it as one of her all-time favourites. Uh, just some of the other stuff that's there. I mean, like, seriously, butthole surfers. Um, tell me about Kim Mazel to Desiree. Who does what? Candy Staten songs should be there. The Candy Staten songs, Young Hearts Run Free, and Kim Mazel um, sings that, and Desiree then does Kissing You, which is... And they're both kind of in the party scene of the film and stuff, but Young Hearts Run Free... An incredible song, an absolutely brilliant song. And I think I would sing that a lot now. And maybe when I was 13, that wouldn't have been one of the songs I was so into on the album. But as I said, like the album has kind of grown with me. And I've, you know, different songs have, I've picked out at different points in my life. Like when I was 13, I wasn't a massive fan of Radiohead. But now I absolutely love them. Like they're one of my most favourite bands ever. And, you know, so it's kind of, the album has kind of grown with me. And there's always something there that I can dip into. Yeah, which right. I love, you know. Now, did you ever follow on to Butthole Surfers? I mean, what are they doing in the middle I of I didn't actually, no, yeah. I never. I, I mean, I love the song, but I definitely got into, um, there's a band, uh, I think it's called Local God, the song, but the band called Everclear. Everclear, yeah. Who and it did this Americana kind of rock pop stuff, very much of its time. I would have been into them when I was like 18. They had an album out. Um, 
so much for the Afterglow, I think it was called. And I was obsessed with that album. But it, really? I wouldn't really go back and listen to them now because it's like, it hasn't really uh, regained its no, kind of freshness, you know. It's a gateway drug for you in many ways. Though, oh, like big time. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, there's crush and garbage there as well. But that song you mentioned, Local God, Everclear, like, does it conjure, do all these songs actually conjure up the specific part of the movie where they play? Like, that's the very beginning, isn't it? Definitely and do, yeah. They dialogue. all. Yeah, they all have. Um, they're all at specific points in the movie and when I listen to the album I can I know which which bits they're at and there is some parts of dialogue from the movie in the soundtrack and stuff and I think as well with the soundtrack albums like I've always been a big fan of soundtrack albums I think like I I remember loving the American Pie soundtrack I mean I love the whole kind of pop punk stuff from the early 2000s as well you know so it's real I love soundtracks because it's just such a real mixed bag of stuff. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, and I really note, like that. There's an American graffiti soundtrack, which has about 40 or 50 songs on it that sums up one of the great eras in American music that people don't talk about much, which is the kind of Bobby Socks and the Ponytail music of kind of 56 to 60 that's often forgotten. Yeah. Mostly teen love songs, but they're brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah. You, you, you find, you'll find new stuff that you love on a soundtrack that you mightn't have heard previously, you know. So, yeah. But the fact that this did mean so much, I mean, obviously at the end there, there's the one dies and you and me always which mm. is a great song fantastic yeah. song but um, like okay so there's Angel by Gavin Friday and he had a great solo album out at the time and that was taken from that but uh, we had Monday there as well so will I just will I play one now from the Cardigans the third and final one this is Love Fool and when you say like the Cardigans are a great pop band fantastic you? band yeah. Unbelievable. Was this an introduction band. to the Cardigans for you? Oh, definitely was. Yeah, definitely yeah. was. And I loved, and then I loved their song, My Favourite Game as well. Oh, what a fantastic. fantastic song. Just Brilliant. amazingly written, well-rounded song, sat like, and her voice is just, yeah, it's brilliant as well. Love it. I love it. Have you ever played it with Ham Sandwich? I've actually done, I sang Love Fool before at a gig with the Turn and Pirate mixtape crowd so uh, I have sang that for it's go right, correct okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it once again this is a, a song not with Neve Farrell on it 25 years old now at this stage 1996 yeah. oh my yeah. god oh, yeah my yeah. God. <laughs> okay listen Neve. thanks a million for dropping in to talk to us there's a love fool <laughs> by the Cardigans Okay, Irish musicians picking their favourite albums. 12 over this weekend. We've six more tomorrow. We've had five today, so one more. A solo musician who's also one half of Houseplants with Paul Noonan from Bell X1. In other words, from County Clare, it's got to be Dahi. And there you go, that is Daft Punk. Digital Love is what it's called. And you, Dahi, have chosen this album. Tell me all about it. What's it called? Yeah, so this is Discovery from Daft Punk, a very, very famous and influential dance music album. Maybe one of the most influential, I would say, probably. Could I jump in and say, maybe yeah. so, and absolutely it is, 2001. But when it came out first, yeah, was it that influential? Did people get it? There was I an mean, interesting... Like, what's this happening with the voice? And later on, we all know about autotune. And yeah. There was a lot of firsts. I mean, it was kind of... For me, that album was the moment where Daft Punk went from being like a music act to becoming like an 
icon. Do you know, it yeah. was just before that kind of around. I think it was like 1999, maybe that they started wearing the helmets. You know, and suddenly they had like turned into robots or whatever. And when they released the record. Uh, you know they had released Homework the album before which yeah. was this uh, like heavy really good like house music based in kind of Chicago house and stuff was hugely influential but between that time and Discovery there was a load of other artists who were kind of copying them or taking parts of it and turning it into other music you know Madonna's record uh, music was like really heavily influenced by Homework and stuff so Daft Punk kind of had this decision to make where they were like well there's so many people copying what we do now we better like try and go a different way to it and that was what Homework was it was kind of there was a lot of like stuff based from the 70s a lot of kind of very kind of very housey elements kind of very kind of uh, um, pop music from the 80s even is kind of like mixed into it and uh, at the time that music was really unpopular I think was the big thing 2001 like you know people thought that that kind of music was kind of uncool maybe that's what I kind of mean yeah, yeah. yeah. and then so then like say The Guardian like panned the record when it came out it kind of, I think it got like two no, stars have, have they done one of their retro things yeah about, so yeah. they pulled it back yeah The Guardian did 20 retros up. sorry about that review yeah. here's the real one and that was one of them <laughs> absolutely and Pitchfork did the exact same thing you know they oh, got really? like they gave it like a 6.1 at the time and they retracted that and kind well, of like oh actually may, maybe that's what I mean like you know, like it's just a mistake that a lot of people made. Now, obviously, yeah. you were well up for this brand new sound. <laughs> I mean, like, just let's take this thing of um, house. Yeah. It, was the last album the pinnacle of, of of house music in some ways, or was this one here? Is this it? Or, because this is a new direction. Yeah, I mean, this one kind of transcended almost more into pop music. Yeah, and what the, the interesting thing, like in two thousand and one. Uh, you're going to be <laughs> very I was 11 when this yeah, record yeah, came yeah, out yeah. <laughs> every, every second person on this programme was 11 when the biggest album hits them don't worry about yeah, it yeah and for me like at the time I was listening to like rock music and rap music and a whole pile of stuff and then weirdly I was also listening to this one dance record which was Discovery and I wasn't into dance music at all and it kind of I never really thought about it being dance music it was just another really good record that I was listening to at the time and then when I started getting into dance music more when I was older kind of in my kind of college years it was like a huge influence and, and for me Discovery the most important thing it is for me is like it's like a it's like a bible for dance music you know it has all of the touchstones and all of the cornerstones that you need to kind of learn what what makes dance music like amazing you know you have you have the the build up of tension and the release of tension there's like the exploration of using samples in specific ways taking an older song and you know transforming it into something completely different there's like the idea that you repeat a really simple phrase like harder better faster stronger and the more you say it the more kind of uh, like inspiring it becomes and the more kind of big it becomes and like big it has as in push to bleed and breaking point <laughs> jeepers it's like ah at one stage for me it's like you know if you're on a dance floor and there's yeah. this like phrase being said over and over again it becomes really profound and everybody in the room kind of gathers up and it's like almost meditative you know so that's what's really so have you been the in the harder better faster str- uh, stronger moment and realise you've, you've been transcended when you're doing those four words is that what you're telling me 100% yeah, yeah. every, every b- person <laughs> in the room going harder going better yeah. going faster going stronger and then like you know it has like incredible the thing that people forget about Discovery as a record is that you know it has those huge big powerful moments like harder better faster stronger but then it goes down into these more deep kind of more R&B moments and it rise, goes down 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 deep into these more kind of kind of snug kind of like chill kind of tracks and then builds back up yeah again. a bit of Bar- Barry Manilow popping exactly there, so, yeah. I mean, come on lads. Yeah, so, like there's, a good, there's a bit of heavy metal on one of the track good, yeah exactly the guitar, a lot of, whatever, kind of dynamic or whatever yeah. it is yeah. yeah, a lot of prog rock stuff as well yeah. and like you know it just kind of spreads out over a period of time and the thing that kind of people forget 
was is that like you know as an album electronic music is generally you know a, a, an electronic act will break through into the mainstream with one track and, and yeah. then they'll they'll do that and that'll be their big track and then they'll go on okay well you, we played one track which is Digital Love mm-hmm. and I'm really disappointed that you didn't pick Fair Disco which when that came that's out, your one that, I just played it all the time around <laughs> the start of the millennium amazing um, but like and there was no vocals in it though so yeah because yeah, I, like, I wasn't necessarily crazy about all this vocoder stuff I never really, yeah, yeah, yeah. through it all oh, no, no not, not vocoder yeah well it is vocoder yeah it's all yeah, vocoder yeah, yeah, yeah that's right okay so the next time I'm playing is Face to Face um, mm-hmm. why yeah. that in particular so Face to Face is probably my favourite dance music song of all time um, it's inspired by this uh, house musician called Todd Edwards who had this really uh, unique way of cutting up samples and he actually worked on this track with them it was a huge influence to Daft Punk um, and it just it has all these amazing kind of rhythms that are really really interesting and it's taking something like a vocal sample and turning it into something completely different that had never been heard before at the time so uh, yeah shout out to Todd Edwards shout out to Todd Edwards indeed as well what an introduction let's hear it then (laughs) this is from the album Discovery Daft Punk Face to Face There you go, Face to Face is the name of the track. Discovery is the album from Daft Punk. And this is one that you discovered at the, oh, see the way they're there? Uh, at the age of 11. <laughs> Die is the man from County Clare. There's a lot of kind of weird experimental stuff on this too. There's a lot of fun on it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's a massively kind of positive record. You know, there's kind of, there's all these very, very kind of euphoric moments. And yeah, I know you you, you said you're not that much into the um, the kind of the vocoder voice, but, but to me, it has this really interesting thing where, you know, they kind of present as these kind of robots, but like every single electronic element in the record is trying to be as emotive and human as possible. So that kind of contrast between, oh, we're just robots, we don't have any emotions, and then using that kind of, that that area to kind of blow up into this amazing kind of humanising kind of power is like one of the best things about the record. And in know? terms of music and where it's gone and the kind of music you like, is this as contemporary as you think it was 21 years ago? Like it fits in no problem, not just because of nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those albums that just hasn't aged really, you know, yeah. like it's kind of out in its own and people still, you can drop that in a DJ set at any time and people absolutely love it. And, you know, it's it's almost more than just the album as well. You know, there was an amazing full feature length film that was with it called Interstellar 5555, which is like an anime music video for the entire record. And uh, that kind of idea of making like kind of more than just an album, this kind of full artist kind of pull together where it's got like visuals and the music and they have this amazing live show after that that kind of broke them in America um, yeah it was just a huge huge moment and in the instrumentals music. like I mentioned Veritas Code there's about four yeah. instrumentals or so on the album six with vocals that do you like all the instrumentals do you like they don't have yeah. they don't need the vocals they don't need the vocals I mean on, even on my own records I have plenty of kind of instrumental stuff as well you kind of you, it's it's one of the really great things about this album as well is that you get those those kind of singly hits kind of things and then it kind of goes down to those instrumentals where it kind of has a much more of a kind of a, an atmosphere and then builds back up into something like Face There's a bass, noise yeah. off the bass it's kind of a slap bassy funky sound a lot of the time yeah. I think it's yeah. kind of unusual I would have thought or is that unusual Absolutely. I mean, like, like, when, like when I mentioned earlier on there about the um like the, the, the what did I call it the, the voice thing not the vocoder the vo- as such no yeah, but it's kind of like that type of effect is the, the kind of auto-tuning, auto-tuning let's yeah, call it yeah, yeah. Was, this is kind of 
early days of auto-tuning. Hugely, yeah. yeah I we remember, didn't know what it was. I remember like the record was recorded in their house and they had like a very, very early version of, of uh, a computer that was recording and they used that to do the auto-tune. But it's one of those things where, you know, auto-tune kind of got a bad rap after that because it was like being used to prop up bad vocalists. That's kind of, yeah. Whereas yeah. like what auto-tune really should be used for is, is what Daft Punk use it for, which is like kind of changing your voice as an effect and using that yeah. as an instrument, yeah. you know? And that's, well, I like, think really if anybody important. was into Cool and the Gang of the 80s, <laughs> they're on the right track with this thing to yeah. take you through to this century. Okay, so before I play the last track, then on just the, did you have you listened in the last bunch of years? Did did you mourn the breakup? Have they really broken up? Are they gone? What's going on? I did. I mourned them a lot. Although I think you know, like I mean, they kind of ran their course quite well. You know, they had that final that final um, record, Random Access Memories, with which a lot of people said was really really good. I kind of felt that like you know, whereas Discovery was taking old stuff and making something really new and amazing with it, Random Access Memories seemed to lean just more into exploring older stuff and being a kind of an homage so I wasn't as impressed as a lot of people would be with Random Access Memories but um, yeah I mean geez the big thing is I never got to see them live at any time and uh, the, I've never the seen live them show, live either, no. the live show is yeah. huge like it's this big yeah. famous thing they did in Coachella a couple of years ago or years ago but like th- that would be the absolute dream they came back and did a live show that the, would be absolute the absolute dream yeah. okay, well, make it happen Dave make it happen yeah, make it happen come on Dahi <laughs> listen thank you very much indeed a fair play to you uh, Discovery is the album Daft Punk Digital Love and Face to Face for the first two this one here is, of course, one that people know very well and presume. One more time, Daft Punk. One more time.